I feel like the story was very unpleasant and very dark and very uncomfortable, mm. but it made made me appreciate those kinds of stories more. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and noted guy with a broken air conditioner in his house. Um, So if you're hearing birds (laughs) on the soundtrack right now, that is why, because it is a sweltering Wisconsin summer and my air conditioner is broken, so I'm having to record this with all the windows open. Um, and yes, it is hot. <laughs> I was joking about sweltering Wisconsin summer, but it is unseasonably warm in uh, Madison right now. So hopefully the air conditioner will be fixed soon and you won't have to listen to the horrible sounds of nature on this podcast. Um, for this episode, I talked to a friend of mine. His name is uh, James Blake Ewing, and he told me about how the video game Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 changed his mind about the nature of morality. Um, I had to look this up because I wanted to be sure I knew what I was talking about, which is rare. Um, but it led him from more of a deontological view of ethics to more of a utilitarian view of ethics. Um, And for those of you who are scared of big words, basically that means that he originally thought ethics was just a set of universal rules, um, but became convinced that ethics is actually a matter of considering all possible consequences of an action. So in other words, he would pull the lever in the trolley problem. Um, if you don't know what a trolley problem is, you probably won't enjoy this podcast, but you can look it up. <laughs> you can Google it. Um, that's about all I have to say about that. I will go ahead and flip you over to the conversation and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Um, Reason for that being a lot of people seem to think no one ever changes their mind. And while there might be some truth to that, we've all seen someone change their mind. So I want to know why it happens. Um, So this is, you know... 1% research project, 99% therapy for me. I'm sitting here with Mr. James Blake Ewing, who is probably best known as my, the guy who outed me in the Me Too movement. Is that right? Uh, Yes. So there was (laughs) an incident, I think it was at the the, uh, hotel in DFW where uh, we first met. Dallas yeah. Frightmere Weekend in the summer of 2016. And um, we met, and I think the 
we were exchanging pleasantries and you just went in and uh touched my beard it was it was pretty traumatic there was no consent there uh you know i hadn't looked <laughs> you or anything and you just you just hey. went in and touched it i mean so, in my defense it is a spectacular beard so. I mean, it, it is. And I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I didn't really talk about it at the time, but it's had that effect on other people. I've had, a, <laughs> I've had a middle-aged woman do that to me, but she was drunk. You didn't seem drunk at the time. I gave her the benefit of the doubt of being drunk, but I think, I think you were just um, overly enthusiastic, but you know, yeah. Well, I, 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 I mean, my therapist and I, we worked through it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think we're fine. Uh, we did establish that basically all that hair has since been gone from my body so i think i can move on now it's been four years four years um yeah i i will say (laughs) i i went through a a, let's call it a protracted period of my life starting in high school and clearly lasting into my early 30s because i i would have been 31 at the time um where i just i really thought it was the apex of hilarity to invade people's personal space um and I don't know. I, I like I said, I genuinely thought I was being funny, but it didn't occur to me at the time that some people really genuinely don't like having their personal space inv- invaded in like a visceral way. And I I don't know, your reaction <laughs> seemed very genuine at the time like you were very genuinely bothered. Um I don't know if you were exaggerating it for comedic effect, but I I I it was mostly exaggeration. Like, okay, good, good. I'm not a big <laughs> physical like touch person, um, and in the moment, I thought I thought it was pretty funny too because it seemed I knew meeting you was something funny was going to happen. You're just like one of those people that um, you know just interacting with online and all that stuff was like, all right, I know when Luke's we're gonna meet Luke in person, something funny's gonna happen, and you just <laughs> like, you went for it in the first thirty seconds, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that coming. So I, I thought it was pretty funny at the time. Um, you know, uh, and then I just, I had it in my back pocket. I don't, I don't think I really mentioned it. I think I mentioned it a couple of times to, uh, was it Blake Collier we met at the time? Yes. Another mutual friend. And I think I'd mentioned it to him a couple of times as like an end joke. And then just one day, uh, I don't know, you had said something and I just had to mention it on Twitter because I, I figure I was hoping you would take it in the right spirit, which was mostly <laughs> a joke Obviously, getting the beard touched is not quite the same as getting other parts of your body touched, or having, <laughs> you know, a man have, you know, touch a woman in the small of her back or something like that. They're sure. very, like, it's not, it's not quite the same thing. I mean, obviously, you know, many get touched inappropriately too, but getting your beard touched is not that big a deal, um, <laughs> honestly, in the grand scheme of things. I mean. I mean, if you had touched my lips, then we would be like ending like a weird one, but you just kind of grabbed the bottom of the beard. You know, like you would a store Santa, you know, just, you know, give it a little tug, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. It's probably childlike. I will say not to, this is, I, <laughs> I hope the internet takes this in the right spirit, but the, the Me Too movement that has happened since then has made me very much more conscious of the way I interact with people. So I'm probably a lot less fun in person now. Um, (laughs) I will say, like, like I said, I just, I, 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 for a long time, I just thought it was funny to invade people's personal space. I I have never 
touched strangers in a sexual way, but um, just I was just trying to be funny. Um, uh, but since then, I've been kind of like, uh, I probably really freaked out at least a few people in my adventures um, or angered a few people. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just glad we could, we could uh, uh, change your views because I just wanted you to know that like uh, this, this whole thing is actually me taking over your podcast. So you're oh, actually the guest. Actually the host. It was a hostile takeover all along, man. Mm. Um, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So. <laughs> what a twist. Um, I will say that trying to main, continue to juggle all the various balls I have in the air during quarantine with two young kids home has been awful. So I wouldn't mind if someone came and took over my podcast. <laughs> as long as they kept promoting my upcoming book on it. Um, actually, as of Friday, as of Friday, my kids are no longer technically quarantined from school. They are now on summer vacation. So I don't know if that makes any difference at all. <laughs> I mean, not, not really. Not, not, not in terms really. of mental sanity anyway. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Before, it was like they had schoolwork to do every day, which kind of kept them busy. But at the same time, I had to keep helping them with it. So I don't know if it actually gave me more time to work or took away my work. To, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll find out starting starting tomorrow, which will be the, the first weekday without school. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um We've talked a little bit about um, what we're going to talk about. Um, in brief, you told me that um, Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Star Wars role-playing game, changed your views on morality. So I'm going to talk about a few of my favorite things, morality, video games. I, I have mixed feelings about Star Wars. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Star Wars. My mom was like the big Star Wars nut, which is why my name is what it is. Um, so I talking about Star Wars, I always, you know, I always feel like Bane in the, the third Batman movie where he's like, you merely adopted the Star Wars. I was born into it, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but like, I like Star Wars. I'm okay with it. It's not like... Like about a third of the Star Wars movies are good, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so I've never played, I've never played Knights of the Old Republic. I, this is probably, this is one of the more embarrassing things I could say, probably. I feel like I'm more of a JRPG guy than a Western RPG guy. Never really gotten that into Western RPGs, but. Yeah, it seems, I mean, it's not always the case, but it seems people either get into one or the other. Yeah. Um, so that's that's not surprising. See, um, my wife, my wife likes Western RPGs, so you know it's just constant conflict in our house. And you know, I like Star Wars, and she likes Star Trek. It's just like it's awful. It's um, I you know feel bad for me. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, let's um. <laughs> Let's talk about that. But first, um, why don't you tell us who you are? Who is the real James Blake Ewing? 
So right now, I guess I would describe myself as a um, full-time bum, part-time center, probably <laughs> the other way around, but that's that's what I'm going with. Um, so just, just exploring life um, during COVID-19, which means basically sitting, sitting in my parents' house with a lot of time to think and look for jobs I'm probably not going to get. Um, offers for until like 2021 when all this blows over um but you know uh all things considered pretty i think i'm doing pretty good so um occasionally write stuff at creativecriticism.net that's kind of what i'm known for on the internet i guess you can follow me on twitter and facebook under my name uh that's i mean right now i wasn't going to talk about it up front but i guess i'll say I've kind of tinkered the past couple of weeks just making video games because I want to learn coding and it's it's fun. It's it's a different skill set than I've usually been using because most of my life I've been more of a writer and this is more technical stuff. But I definitely have a love of technical stuff, so it's it's fun. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but it's a nice way to break up the monotony of applying to jobs. So that's sure. kind of been my latest thing. So. Uh, I may I may get you the link like in the description, just like my YouTube channel where I posted a couple videos if people want to watch that. Right on. Yeah, I always wished I had gone into game design. I'd probably sounds really stupid to say I'd probably be good at that, but I don't know. Like I'm creative and I'm pretty good at math, so who knows? Who knows what I could have accomplished? Probably nothing. Could um, be like next, being like the next Tim Schafer, man. You know, just what's making that? some funny, funny games. Tim Schafer, you familiar with him? He made a bunch of funny games. Um, guy and you can maybe do the technical stuff. He did like uh, um, Psychonauts and uh, oh, yeah, that's Tim Schafer. That's right, yeah, okay. So, what did you um, what's what's this reverse in morality regarding uh, morality? Wow, that rhymed, that's embarrassing. What, how did your how did your views on morality uh, switch around just real quick? I guess initially what I would say is my moral views were pretty, I, I grew up evangelical Christian and still identify myself as such. And my views, my views on that word that morality was pretty black and white. There were the, you know, the good things and the bad things and you did the good things and you didn't do the bad things. And that was basically I would say kind of religious fundamentalism, that was kind of the view that you were supposed to have and taught and grew up. And as, as I was exposed to this game and started thinking about it and other life stuff was going on at this time, which I'll get into eventually, um, I really started having my view shift and thinking about um, that it's really, it's really not enough just to, do good things, not do bad things, kind of view of morality. Um, and the problem is that that's kind of one of the fundamental ideas of Star Wars. <laughs> and to a certain extent, right? It's like the good people are the guys who are literally like on the good side of the force and do the good things and do the good actions. And the bad guys are the people that are on the bad side of the force and do the bad actions and do the bad things. So um that was that was my initial view and what this game 
slowly started to unravel throughout its time is life is a lot more complicated than that. And there's a point in which we need to consider that more our moral actions have consequences and weight to them. And we should consider what that is and not, um, and not just take every moral action as kind of existing in a vacuum, which I think is how I thought of morality before, which is that you do, you do the X good action and you don't do the Y bad action. And it's almost, um, not quite to the extent of like that determines whether or not you get into heaven or hell, but like a pretty close similar system of just, you know, almost they're kind of being a point scale of like, okay, are you doing more good things than the bad things? Because you need to be doing more good things than bad things. And then not really considering, I guess, the ramifications of my moral actions and kind of how they affected stuff. And that's where, that's where the game really started to make me think about those things. Does that mean then that if you were in the trolley problem now, you would pull the lever? So I would pull the lever to, Okay, I'm trying to remember. You're familiar with the trolley trolley problem. problem. The trolley problem is is if you don't move it, it kills four or five people. But if you do, it kills one person. Right. Yeah. Then, yeah, I would, you know, as much as that's like, (laughs) I guess that wouldn't be a problem for me. I would just pull the lever and probably kill the person. Like, I I hate to say that. Like, I think I could probably, (laughs) I think I could probably live with myself unless I found out that person was like, um, Idris Elba, then I would just hate myself forever. I killed Idris Elba. Why did it have to be Idris Elba? I couldn't have been like Daniel Craig. Come on. I could have lived with Daniel Craig. (laughs) I don't know why Daniel Craig came to mind. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't want to see him die either. I mean, you you clearly have strong feelings about people that have or could play James Bond. (laughs) Yeah, have yeah. played or could play James Bond. Um, all right. So why don't we start at the beginning? Um, you talked a little bit about your evangelical upbringing. Um, can we start there? Maybe talk about your childhood a little bit. Were you uh, born and raised in Texas or? You are in yes. Texas, right? I'm not yes. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm in Texas, so I'm in the central Texas area. Um, so born and raised in that area. Um, interesting um kind of bit was that i grew up southern baptist would be kind of what i identified we eventually moved to like a um you know non-denominational church but i just joked that non-denominational churches are just southern baptist churches that don't put the word baptist in any of their documentation because they basically believe the same thing (laughs) i think i think the old saying is that non-denominational just means you're a baptist church with a cool website Right. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. You have the you have the modern modern design on your sign. You don't you don't have the you don't have the little uh, whatever it is the little board you put in the little verses or saying each week. So um, my dad actually was a part time pastor actually at a couple of different times in his life. Um, so um, it was kind of interesting. Uh, we both had kind of an evolving journey with our belief system. Um, We've never, I don't think we've ever had this like ethics discussion though, but uh, just in terms of our faith and stuff, we kind of had a similar journey Mm -hmm. um, and evolving into kind of maybe, I would say probably a little more complex view of things. So 
growing up that, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I think I was taught. Um, I mean, some of the stuff I taught, I think, was definitely bad and dangerous falsehoods. But I think it was more that it was, you know, it's the the reasonings and the perspectives were skewed on stuff. So it's not, I guess, you know, like it's not necessarily, you know, I, I'll get I'll get into more specifics later. But it's not necessarily a bad thing to feed the poor. But it's um, when when do we get to a point where we create we create a system that um, you know cripples the poor or something like that? I guess would be more my thing. Is like as a you know it's it's hard to teach that when you're a kid, but it's like you you're almost taught this thing of um here's what you're supposed to do for those people um and that i think that was kind of part of my problem with it too is it was like if you know if you weren't a saved person or if you weren't a person that was a member of your church it was like there was this otherness to it i think that also kind of contributed to the morality thing of like here's these things we're supposed to do for the other unfortunates and it's like life's a little bit more complicated than that because I've definitely been in positions where I've had been better off than more people and in places where I haven't been. So it's like when, you know, um, when, uh, you know, when I'm trying to think of how to bring this back to morality, but when, when are we doing things, you know, is the reason we're doing the morality just because we're told to, or because we actually have, or a generative heart, I guess I would say that was that was kind of the question I started asking myself, you know, after, you know, probably like six months after playing this game, six months after thinking about this game for a while, I was like, why, why do I do the good things that I do? Hmm. Like a simple example would have been, um, so I'm taking dual credit classes. Not long after playing this game, I started taking dual credits classes, and I was taking government and this guy's wallet fell on the floor and i picked it up and i chased him down and gave him back his wallet and i was thinking like why did i knew it was the right thing to do and i think you know i would think most people would agree it's like right to give the guy his wallet back but it's like why did i do that what was my motivation there was i just trying to feel good about myself or did i do it because it's the right thing to do or did i do it because it's like well this guy lost his wallet and he's gonna be upset later in the day if he finds out he doesn't have his wallet and he needs it for something. So um, I started just asking myself those difficult questions as like, you know, morality isn't just, morality isn't a checklist, I guess I would say. That was the thing is like, as a kid, you're taught almost to do, do the checklist, like be, I was in the Awana program. And so it's like, learn the verses, do the good things, hit the little check mark, get the sticker, and that's that's how you're supposed to live your life. And then I think I became a teen, and I'm just thinking, like, life is a lot more complicated than this, and it's not always easy to see when, um, when you should do something and when you shouldn't do something. As you're growing up, you started... Um... You started uh, thinking more deeply about these things. Um, well, why don't we? Why don't let me back up a little bit because I have I have a question that I I 
tend to ask on the show. And I've said this before, I, I don't necessarily buy into the premise here, <laughs> but I think it's an interesting question to ask because it kind of pokes at people's thought process, processes a little bit. So if you start if if you started life with this this view of morality that it was like kind of these are the rules I'm a follow the rules I feel like maybe that's kind of a typical way that kids tend to think about things is this really something that you can attribute directly to your baptist ish upbringing or is it more of a just kids think this way sort of thing you know what I'm saying I think I think it's a little bit of both uh-huh. I think it's also, um, I think part of it is that as a, you know, as you're developing kids to be in a society, it's like there's rules we follow as a society. So, you know, follow the rules, don't do the taboo things, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Would you say we live in a society? I would say that. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. But um, the the other thing is I think with the, um, Southern Baptist upbringing, I think it was very much that that's part, it's not only that you live in a society, but part of your functioning in the society is to make sure that you uphold um, a very specific set of Christian morality, and that should be the morality that society conforms to. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much one of the things we talked about, especially when I got into my teen years and I was going to these you know, very academic intellectual camps that were good that taught me like philosophy and theology and government and all this other stuff that I'm very much appreciated. I was exposed to, but the, the logic behind it was that we were supposed to kind of, you know, capture the culture and go out and take these ideas and basically win this cultural war and say that like, you know, Christianity was kind of like, like we're, um, you know, people talk about like, you know, America being the city on the hill. That's a thing that people would talk about a lot, um, which, of course, is completely misusing the term because that was supposed to be Jerusalem, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, but that that was very much taught. So I think there was that part of it, too, is that it was supposed to be that I was part of this kind of, like, secret countercultural movement to, like, change America. Um, which I don't know was as funny as an adult where I feel like I'm in the most like easy to be a Christian place that's ever existed in the history of time. Like we're not that very much mm-hmm. pressed, even though we like to whine <laughs> about it from time to time. It's just, it's really easy to be a Christian here. I've never like, I've, I've never even had someone like not be my friend for mentioning that I was a Christian. Like I have, <laughs> I have flagrantly like atheistic friends who aren't, are like, oh, I'm not going to be your friend because you're Christian. So it's like, what am I even losing by mentioning that in a conversation? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. but we kind of had this um, complex we created for ourselves that was very much tied to that morality. Sure. Um, and I think, I think even more than that, it was like an emotional, is like, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like, it was also an emotional thing for me because uh, I definitely had an influence and it was not, it was not my parents. I definitely had an influence in my life that taught me like, if you do bad things, you will get punished for it in an unpleasant way. Hmm. Um, and I don't really want to get into that too much because it's more personal and it's not, it's not anything like physical abuse or anything like that, but it definitely 
got into my psyche as a young kid that like doing bad things resulted in a bad result and so that was also kind of part of my motivation to not do bad things was that i don't want to have the bad thing happen to me yeah i do feel like uh, maybe i'm just going in circles i do feel like that's how kids tend to think of right. uh, you know it's like rewards and punishments and that sort of thing um i <laughs> i mean as someone with youngish kids i feel like i go out of my way to teach them that that's not why <laughs> you do good and do bad you know like Sometimes I have to punish you because I want to discourage you from doing bad or I want to prevent you from hurting yourself. But that's like not why I want you to not do bad things. And I don't know how successful I've been with that. But that is, yeah, I mean, that is an interesting, interesting point about the culture wars in particular. Um, Someone, you know, being raised uh, in the primarily in the 90s, um, I was at least aware of that. But I, you know, I was raised in the North, mainly among Presbyterians and Lutherans. So I, 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 f- I always feel like I was definitely not at the center of that, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's always like ta- talking to uh, people who were raised there is always, um, I don't know, a bit of anthropology research for me. Um, Cause I just, I just don't know that world well. I, I have a couple of questions that I, I, I ask people about these these um, beliefs on the show. Um, and I was I was headed in this direction before and then I took a weird left turn instead. Um, <laughs> but um, like I said, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with the premise of this question, but I think it's an interesting question, which is, would you say you had logical reasons for thinking this way or more emotional reasons? I think. I think it was a bit of both. I think the logical was very much the seeing how there was there was kind of beauty in the order and design of both a a um, on the highest level, I guess, God creating this sense of morality and order that is good for us to follow in certain mm-hmm. you know, and it's an extent that I think you know. Most reasonable people will agree that the Ten Commandments is like a good thing to uphold. Mm. You know that those are good. You know at least, you know at least if they don't agree with all of them, they agree with kind of the underpinning ideas. Is like yeah, we shouldn't steal from our neighbors and we shouldn't, you know, commit adultery with our neighbor's wife and things like that. Like there, there are things that we can kind of agree with as a society on a human level, which is kind of the B side, which is that humans also recognize that there are things we shouldn't do to each other and that that made sense to me my logical side but then there was also i kind of said that emotional side that there was you know obviously the negative reinforcement of kind of having punishment from your parents but then also having um other kind of punishments that i guess i will say were more um uh verbal and social that kind of um definitely made an impression on me as a child is like the so not necessarily don't do the bad things because they're bad but because um there will be other kinds of punishments that are not pleasant to experience especially when you're a young impressionable child who kind of has a i was i would say i was very i was definitely a very emotional and like emotionally expressive child which is um i would say i'm not as emotional now but i definitely was as a child (laughs) 
All right. Um, and finally, um, with regard to these these beliefs, um, I think this might be an interesting question here. Um, I'm really interested in the idea that maybe we believe what we believe for ultimately selfish reasons or self-serving reasons. Um, would you say you you maybe you you believe you had these views of morality for selfish reasons? I mean, I think. I think there were definitely some selfish reasons. I think some of it was just to fit in and be accepted because that's what everyone around me was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're you're growing up among you know all your all, almost all your friends are people that are like church friends, and you're definitely also grew up uh, homeschooled, which was like a big part of it. I think too was that um, not that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that my parents were only homeschooling me because of the Christian values, but I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. So that was also kind of part of that identity um, there. And I think there was kind of a selfishness of that. It's like I'm I'm kind of morally superior than the people who are going to public school and getting the secular, you know, you know, view of the world. Um, but then I also think there was genuinely just a part of me that thought that there was goodness, truth, and beauty in just doing the good things even as a child, um, mm-hmm. that that in some way that we were designed to be that way. So I think I think even at a young age, I recognized some of that, but I definitely, there was definitely a selfishness I could see and probably a little bit of arrogance Um kind of in my early teens of thinking like, well, I don't do X like Y does, or I don't do this like this does. Like I, I, I mean, all things considered, I grew up fairly sheltered and conservative um, Mm. and was surprisingly not necessarily exposed to certain sins and vices like some of my friends were (laughs) that weren't necessarily you know, some of the vices were not necessarily horrible, but it was still stuff that I didn't do or didn't get into. Um, like, it's funny we're talking about a video game because, like, I didn't play inverted video games until I could, like, buy them when I was 17 years old. And I had friends who were, like, 10 years old playing um, Perfect Dark, which I just thought, man, those sinners playing Perfect Dark. And now it's like, I look at that game and I think, this is so silly that this game was rated in yeah i definitely um well into my high school years i i i had a personal rule of no m-rated games like i don't know why like i don't think my parents forced it on me it was just like i just i don't want m-rated like i have a little brother i don't want m-rated games around here and at some point i was like you know i was well into my late teens and i, I was like man i'm really cutting myself off from a lot of great games with this rule, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. um, and it was weird. It was weird for me. It was weird when I realized like I had this rule for games, but I was totally fine with like watching an R rated movie or whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but since we're already on the game thing, why don't we, um, why don't we get into uh, Knights of the old Republic two before we actually talk about your experience with the game, can you give listeners like a quick overview of what Knights of the Old Republic 2 is before we get into that? So so like most things Star Wars related, it's a sequel. So just right <laughs> off the bat, it's a, it's a, it's a, it comes after Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So um, 
it started as a sequel on like a new hope which everyone knows was did not start as a sequel but then became one later in life so um you know star wars loves its sequels um so basically just very brief context on the first one first one that's the old republic um star wars role-playing game made for computers um role-playing game for those few who may not know kind of like just dungeons and dragons you have like type thing you have lots of stats based off of a character you kind of customize and make and go on an adventure um so it's basically for a lot of people knights of the old republic was like playing your own episode of star wars kind of playing your own star wars episode um you know 10 or whatever although these games take place way before the movies um so point zero so star wars knights of the old republic 2 is the sequel and basically you're playing a um a character who has um force sensitivity and is basically assumed to be kind of the last jedi um which of course we know is not true because they later made a movie called The Last Jedi. But um, um, and it turned out to not even that even that movie turned out to not actually be about the Last Jedi. So whatever. Right. <laughs> I'm waiting for uh, Star Wars Episode Ten: The Last Jedi to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> so um, you meet a character early on named Kreia. She becomes kind of the mentor character. She has some Force sensitivities, but doesn't really identify as a Jedi or a Sith. Um, and as you play the game, a lot of the um, interesting moments are you interacting with her as you do different things in the game and she responds to those actions. And that's where a lot of the morality and storytelling of the game kind of happens. So that's kind of a big overview of that game. It takes it takes place basically 2,000 years before the events of Star Wars Episode One. So this is kind of when um, the Jedi and the Sith were at their peak, but then um, this is kind of during their decline after they've had this huge battle where they basically kind of killed off each other. Now, to be clear, um, because I I haven't played this game, I've read a bit about it. Um, So I just want to make sure I understand this is this is one of those role playing games that has like a big complex morality system, right? Like what your choices influence whether you tend in this case, Jedi or Seth, good or evil, right? Right. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting. Um, why don't we um, talk about when you fir- first played this game, kind of where were you in life? So this game came out, I think, around... Um, so it came out in 20, or 2005. I don't think I played it until a year or two later, um, so I think I was probably about 16 or 17 when I played this game. And, um, so, you know, at this point in my life, I'm wrapping up high school. Um, I started taking the dual credit classes in college. I'm in a church situation where I'm basically becoming like questioning a lot of my basic faith beliefs and really, in a church environment that I would say is like very hostile, like directly and openly, there are people in the youth group that are hostile to me. And it's sort of a known quality quantity, but none of the adults are doing anything about it. Hmm. And part of the reason they're hostile to me is that I'm challenging kind of 
the views of both the pastor and the church at large. Questioning authority, man. Fight the power, man. <laughs> Being very rebellious teenager, as you or want to do. <laughs> um, you want to talk about what about or? There were two kind of core questions to me, I think, which were how are we saved and what does it actually mean to be a Christian? And so those were these two questions that I was having a lot of debate and argument about. And I think people found those questions uncomfortable and they didn't necessarily like where I was going with the answers. And there were there were other people at the church at the same time who were asking some of the same questions and I was talking to um, mostly like older people in the church and not so much the younger people who just kind of wanted to maintain the status quo and do typical high schooly things and have typical youth group experiences and not really rock the boat. Okay, so that's kind of kind of where you were. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about your experience playing the game then, or? Yes. So um, playing this game very much is informed by the first game, which is that it's very kind of mainline Star Wars story except that you get to influence the story, which is that you can be a good character and do good things and get what are called light side points and get the good ending, which is that, you know, everything kind of has that hero's journey and there's a kind of, you know, someone has kind of their redemptive, like, third act turns, you know, vis-a-vis Darth Vader and, you know, Return (laughs) of the Jedi. Um, or you can um, kind of have the Empire Strikes Back experience where you get to play the bad guy and do the bad things and get the dark side points and um, be evil and kind of come out on top um, as the top dog Sith Lord, um, and which is the official title, right? Top dog Sith Lord. I <laughs> I would play a game called Top Dog Sith Lord. And then um, the sequel, it's set sometime after that. And um, you, you know, you're playing this game and you're being reintroduced to the mechanics, except as you go along, this character Kraya um, and your companion characters kind of start complicating that, which is the first thing is that... Um, you do a light side action and you're like, oh, great, I got the light side points. You kind of get that dopamine hit of kind of like, you do the video game thing, you get the experience points, you get the good guy points. And then um, you basically straight up get a five minute lecture from Kaya where she says, why did you just give that beggar money? And you know, you give some response like, oh, it was the right thing to do or all that stuff. And she goes, what do you think you've accomplished by doing this good deed? Um, you are not able to see where his path lays and how his path is set. And by doing this, you may have made things only worse for him and may have only made him a target for persecution and suffering when you know others see that he's got this money. And the game actually shows you that that's literally what happens is that you've given him this money and he's gone off to go do something with it. And another beggar says, hey, where did you get all that money? And beats him up and takes his money. So all you've done is made him a victim. Hmm. And so it was this moment where all of a sudden it's like, 
Yes, you got that little light side point for doing the good thing, but it didn't result in a good feeling. Like, it didn't result in a good story moment. And all of a sudden, it made me realize part of what I was thinking is, as I'm dealing with this faith stuff, um, is that um, how does our heart function and why, why are we doing good things? So in this video game, I was doing this good action of giving this beggar money, not because, you know, it was the right thing or good thing to do. It's because I wanted to get the light side points. It was because I wanted to get the experience points. Hmm. So all of a sudden, the game was twisting this little mechanic and saying, oh, you're trained like a monkey to do this, these good things, but you're not considering what the consequences of the good actions are. <laughs> and, it, you know, if you want to get, like, weird and meta about it, you can say, well, the video game programmers program the scenario, so I'm just doing what the video brick game programmers are telling me to do. Um, but I think I think there was a sense, and the you know the writer of this game, um, Chris Avalon, who's actually a very well known video game writer, um, you know, has talked about like he was very much using this game to explore problems he had with Star Wars, and I think kind of one of the big ideas he had with Star Wars is that it presented this very simplistic view of morality that didn't really um, take like so social situations and circumstances and contexts into effect. That it's very, you know, when you're this knight on this adventure with this laser sword and this galaxy against this evil empire, it's very easy to justify your good actions. But when you're someone who's dealing with a complex socioeconomic situation and you just handing out money to beggars it's like is what you're doing actually like good for that system or are you just creating more suffering and so that's kind of where and now i'm really getting out there that's kind of where i started getting into these moments in high school where i'm like why are we giving money for people to go give shoes to kids in africa when the kids don't even have fresh water to drink and so they're getting sick and dying of all these diseases when they don't even have fresh water but we're giving them shoes so they don't hurt their feet when they walk to go get the dirty water out of the lake like it was just it was making me angry and i think this game was kind of tapping in to this emotion and starting me to change those views as like you can say that like it's a morally good thing to give kids shoes but if the kids are dying of something else like what is that morally good action actually doing is it just giving you that dopamine hit of like i did a good thing or is it actually doing something good for that person that's actually you know helping their world you know mm -hmm. that was kind of that was kind of this turning point i had you know as a young teen as a young adult of like um what do our moral actions, what effect do our moral actions have? Because I can do this thing that is makes me feel good and everyone tells me is good, but is it actually a good thing? And what are the impacts of those things? So I, what I really want to know now is how did you end up playing Knights of the Old, Re Old Republic 2 after that scene? Did you... Did you keep going down the Jedi path or were you like, yeah, screw it. And you ended up being the galaxy's most evil Sith Lord or whatever. I actually, actually to this day, um, 
have played it like a number of different ways. I'm one of those weird people that um, there was a stat that came out from, I think the guys who made Mass Effect who said like 90% of people play as their Paragon, which is like basically their light side version. Like they play as the good guys because they want to see the good ending. I'm I'm fine Uh playing good, evil, all this other stuff. Like I like exploring the things. So what I was trying to do is basically like trying to figure out what's the best in this situation. How do you kind of like arbitrate justice in a meaningful way that benefits everyone? And that that was this great moment because the game turns that on its head and says, oh, so you now you want to be, you know, now you're basically whether or not you're a Jedi or a Sith, you want to be an arbiter of justice. So now you're kind of becoming this person of power. And the problem with that is anytime you put yourself in a position of power and then all these people underneath you are weaker and at your mercy. So it kind of even complicates that on another level. So that was this whole other system of like me becoming really jaded about human justice system as well. So it just, so I had this whole like, like moral faith questioning and then it was also questioning this justice system of like when do we get to a point of um trying to become the masters of other people's fate and when can we abuse those systems as well Hmm. obviously the game got you thinking about about these questions why don't we um why don't we talk a little bit about about where you ended up landing then yeah so that's that's to me the um the interesting thing because I still in some ways I think there would be people that says like well it doesn't really sound like your view of what's good and evil has changed mm-hmm. and I guess I would say to an extent that's probably true mm-hmm. but I think it quote made me question how do we how do we view ourselves and how do we view and when is it appropriate to act because um I haven't read the book I've heard great things I know I need to read it, but there's a book called When Helping Hurts, which talks about basically when people go into ministry and do, you know, go to help these impoverished people. And when they think they're helping people, but they're actually hurting people. And so the first job I got out of college was that I was a, um, I was working with tutors at a college. And one of these tutors, um, I was working at this community college. He came from, Uganda and I was talking to him and he was saying that really what Uganda needs is it needs people who are trained to run businesses to build infrastructure for them so people have jobs and so there's a stable economy and so he's explaining to me what his people needed and so why he came from Uganda to America to come get this business degree so he could go back to Uganda and teach people how to make their own businesses So he was saying, here's what he saw as someone who grew up in Uganda firsthand. Here's what his people needed. And here's how he wanted to go back and help his people. And then I would go to church and the people in church were talking about going over and sending all these expensive shoes, not expensive, but like more expensive than the shoes I bought for myself Hmm. to kids in Uganda so that they could have shoes. And I was just thinking like, there's a disconnect here. This one guy wants to do... Both people want to do something good, but one wants to basically go in and say, like, we're going to 
help this society by just flooding their economy with all these shoes and the other one saying like we want to build up the system in which we can create our own shoes and that you know the families can come and buy them so like those are two very different approaches and one of those ultimately hurts the society and the other one doesn't so it's like that was kind of my thing is i wanted a socially conscious way of acting morally so saying that it's not just enough that we do good things, but that we do them in ways that seeks the prosperity of those people. So it's not about making ourselves feel good or about getting, you know, heaven points or whatever you want to call it, but that you actually are seeking the prosperity and wealth and goodness of the people you're trying to help. And then with justice, I, I think something I read before high school that stuck with me, um, I'm not going to try to quote it exactly. Of course, um, I feel like if you're a conservative Christian, it's required reading that you read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It's like a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read it, and there was this passage in the Minds of Moria where Gandalf talks to Frodo, and Frodo says, I wish Gollum had died. And Gandalf basically says, you know, how dare you wish death and judgment upon someone else? You do not see you know, many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life. And who are you to deal out death and judgment? Even the wisest cannot see, you know, all ends. And so, and Lord of, Lord of the Rings plays out a certain way. Um, and I think, I wouldn't say it's on the nose, but it's kind of obvious when Gandalf says this thing in Fellowship and when it pays off in Return of the King, kind of what Tolkien intended by that. It kind of is a very nice loop. But I think when I played Dance of the Old Republic 2, it was more of not this, it wasn't an obvious loop. It was just a, um, you're, when you make a certain judgment or when you influence certain people, or when you make certain actions, those actions have repercussions and you can't see the consequences of those actions and you don't have control over them. And that, um, I feel like that's a very antithetical idea, especially in video game stories, because a lot of video game stories are about giving you a choice where you make action and then the consequences is something you desire, to where a lot of the actions in Knights of the Old Republic 2 are kind of outside your control, which it's interesting to me that earlier that you said you're into JRPGs because one of the reasons I don't like JRPGs is because I feel like you don't have that control and choice that I want. Mm-hmm western rpgs give you and yet this is one of my favorite ones in which he pretty explicitly says like certain things are your fault and even if you make different choices those things still happen like so Mm -hmm. no matter which actions you take these things are going to happen and they're bad things and they're your fault and even though you made a different decision it's still on you because you influence this person and this person because of your influence and you just even existing in their space and being an influence on them made them do this thing that is bad that you didn't want to happen. So I thought that was a very challenging idea and just the idea that we're in this um, messy world where we can make judgments and hope that good things happen, but a lot of times bad things happen. So um, you know, just, you know, especially in the United States, we have a lot of 
you know, justice, um, issues with justice that sometimes people are put in jail for decades and then we find out that they weren't guilty or Mm -hmm. um, someone's let out of jail and then they commit a heinous act and you're like, why didn't that person stay in jail? Or, you know, someone feels like they should be brought to justice more swiftly and for whatever reason that doesn't happen. Um, And so there's just, there's all kinds of different issues going on with our justice system. And it just, I think it really played up to me that, um, and, you know, as a kid, and I would definitely emphasize as a white middle-class kid, it was easy for me to see justice as something that was right. And I think as an adult, I saw that justice was very much something that had been corrupted and had flaws to it and that it wasn't always sometimes people who enacted justice were just as much a problem as part of the problem as the people who had done something unjust or have been accused of doing something unjust i should say so Mm -hmm. um that's where some of my views started to change on that as well is just saying that um people who are, are put in positions of power i do not I do not envy them, and I do think there's a lot of wisdom in saying that, like, that is not that is not an enviable position because you do have vote power over a lot of people, and um, you know, I think just like Genoff says, even the wisest person can't see where their action, you know, where that judgment is going to lead, and I think this game really showed me is that like sometimes those judgments lead to really bad things, and there's nothing you can do about it and you can't foresee that and that's just the way life works sometimes and that's a first you know frustrating part of being in a human and fallen world so let me ask this how does this understanding of morality play out in real life like because i hear what you're saying you know um of, of like you know not a we can't see every every effect of our actions we have to consider the ends as much as we can. Um, but to me, that sounds at best exhausting <laughs> and at worst, just completely um, defeating, you know, like I, I, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm kind of half playing devil's advocate here because I get what oh. you're saying. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's like, you give me, you give me a ten, the 10 commandments or some checklist of moral acts. And I'm like, yep, I can do that. Check, check, check. Um, but then you, you tell me like, you know, you have to consider every possible end of all of your actions and every possible effect your actions can have, you know, every ripple, little ripple effect you can have. And I'm just like, can I just take a nap instead? (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of the conclusion I came to as a person of you know, faith and specifically a believer of Christ is that um, the purpose, you know, as, as I think my um, denomination would say is like the purpose of the old Testament was kind of like, here's, well, the purpose of the whole Bible was Christ and his redemptive work as we would say, but like kind of, we think about the law as something is like, here's all these things for you to do in order to be a good person and be saved and the point of it ultimately was that you can't do these things and that i think most of my childhood was spent being told is if you do all these things you're being a good christian and a good person Mm -hmm. and my realization kind of playing this game was that 
even if I do all the right things, I'm not good enough and I'm never going to be good enough. And so I basically have to turn to Christ and say, like, I can ultimately only find true goodness in you and your work and your act. And I can't find it in myself and I can't find it in my good actions. And no matter what I do, I am not going to get the ending that I desire because in my, on my own self, I'm going to screw everything up. And so I have to rely on Christ. And that's Mm. kind of where I turned to in my life was that even if I do everything right, I'm not good enough. And so that was, that was kind of as, as defeatist as that sound, that was a very liberating moment for me because Mm. suddenly this weight was lifted for me. And I could say like, I don't have to be, the hero of the story. And once you take that burden off yourself, like it's, it's amazing because especially I think as a Westerners, we're taught to be the hero of our own stories, forge our own paths, make yeah. our own legacy to where, um, you know, Christ and the gospel is ultimately, I, I would say is about, here's this thing that Jesus Christ did for you mm. and it's already done. And you don't have to save yourself. You've already been saved. You've already been redeemed. You've already mm-hmm. been made right in God, God's eyes. So quit trying to do it. And that's not to say quit doing good things, but quit trying to save yourself because it's mm-hmm. exhausting and tiring. And you do just want to take a nap at the end of the day if that's how you live your life. Yeah. But if you could live it in the knowledge that Christ has already done these things for you, so it's okay to just go out there and get in the mess sometimes and say, sometimes I'm going to make mistakes. Sometimes I'm going to need to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes I'm going to say, hey, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. And I've had to have those moments. And it's it's hard to have those moments where maybe I lose it in front of my non-Christian friends. And I just have to say like, hey, man, sorry. Like I goofed up the other day. That was my bad. That's all on me. Um, maybe sometimes I do something and I would say, I have to come back to that person and say like, look, I thought this was the right thing for you, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. clearly not working. You know, I tried to give you a second chance and it did not work out. Um, you need to go on and do something else. Um, that Those are hard conversations to have, but you um, having, I think just having that um, grace and mercy for yourself to be able to live in that moment was just very liberating for me. And I don't, you know, as far as I know, that's not what the person who made this video game intended and I don't think that's really where the game concludes itself. I don't want to really spoil it, but I yeah, think I was, you kind of. I was going to say I don't moment. think there's a lot of I don't think there's a lot of grace for Jedi, is there? <laughs> no, I think I think where the the game kind of leaves you in this place of saying that like you, I don't think it matters which ending you do. Things end up horribly either way, so it's not really there's not really a lot of hope there. I think the point he's trying to make is like don't like trying to be the hero of your own story really, really really only ends up in you leaving a lot of dead people along the way, Mm. you know? Yeah, for sure. And so so in the same way, I think living, trying to live that way in our own lives really just leaves a lot of damaged and hurt people along the way. Yeah. Um, And not that we don't strive to do right and that we don't strive to do heroic things when times calls for it. But uh I think I think it was just a very revolutionary experience for me to experience a story in which it's like you you have a lot of agency and control, but you are being told a story in which you are 
essentially, no matter even if you do good things, you're kind of the bad guy of the story. Yeah, and it's so weird to me. This is this is me on my soapbox, I guess. But it's it's so weird to me that like this idea of you'll never be good enough. You need to rely on Christ is I mean, that's like the core of the Protestant Reformation, you know, at, at the very least. And yet modern Protestants are just so bad at teaching that truth. Um, and I just, I don't understand why that is. I don't know. There's not necessarily a question there. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. I think just as it's not appealing to us. I think yeah. we want to live an affluent life where we do the good things and good things happen to us. And I, I mean, I definitely grew up kind of feeling like that's, how it was supposed to be and i don't i don't think i really noticed i think i got depressed when things didn't happen that way instead of getting angry but which some people say depression is just another form of anger but you know there are definitely points in my life where it's like i'm doing all the good things but the good outcome is not happening and that's not necessarily because i was doing some evil thing but just because that's not how life works you know how would you say your life has changed since your beliefs have changed I think I'm a lot less angry at myself and other people than I used to be. Mm-hmm. I think I was very, I think I was a very angry teen. I was a very angry young person. Um, I think it manifested itself in a lot of different ways. I think um, I've given myself a lot more grace than I used to. I used to be very hard on myself, especially um, in my teen, you know, early teenage years. I think I kind of loosened up some in college i think kind of some of that just came with newfound freedom but i think definitely as my views started to change it helped me um it helped me feel like i didn't have to spend every moment of every day like looking out to do the good things um and not that i didn't try to do the good things but it wasn't i wasn't like this imperative that i had to go out and save the world by doing good actions like that that weight from kind of the evangelical teaching that like the world was this ministry battleground that I had to go conquer or this cultural war that I had to win kind of dissipated um, as the years went by. So, um, you know, I think, I think now, especially as you said, we live in a society, I don't feel the imperative that we have to, I feel as Christians, I don't feel the imperative that we have to go out and win the culture, but I do feel the imperative that we have to be light and darkness. And I do think there's a lot of darkness in our world right now. All right. And finally, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Don't be afraid to tell stories that make people uncomfortable because, um, I, I like to think about stories and write about stories and hopefully one day I'll make stories that I feel that are worth sharing. And this, I feel like this story was very unpleasant and very dark and very uncomfortable, mm. but it made, made me appreciate those kinds of stories more because I would say before this, there were some of the darker stories that I liked, but I tended to like stories with kind of the, the happier endings or like kind of the bow tied off. And this, um, Honestly, I think I played this around the time Revenge of the Sith came out, and this kind of ruined. This, along with Revenge of the Self in and of itself, kind of started to ruin Star Wars for me. <laughs> and so I really started going back and reevaluating and 
Um, some of the, you know, I still enjoy the original uh, films quite a bit, but uh, I think I think it kind of made me see that um, them for what they were, which is like they're fun light fantasy adventures, but they're not. There's not a lot of meat on the bones there, and I felt like this was a meaty story that I kept returning to and kind of kept thinking about. Mm. And I just I you know especially with the new films, I just don't feel that way anymore like i feel um they're a fun way to maybe pass a couple of hours but i don't i don't feel like they stuck with me hmm. um the way that this story has that i still think about it and i still you know i still for for some reason uh i still just think about that uh it kind of goes back to the sending shoes to kids in africa i'm just like Every time I think about that, I kind of think about this game. It's like, why are we still sending shoes to kids in Africa when they that's not what they need or even want? All right. I have three final questions. Uh, I try to ask every guest kind of uh, poke at these questions of epistemology, ontology. Um, how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, let me ask you first, James. What is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? The glib answer is identity is whatever is on your t-shirt at any particular moment. Oh man, my t-shirt's blank. <laughs> I have no <laughs> I identity. I have right now, so I'm a blank personality too. <laughs> a little gray, a little dread. Two identityless people talking to each other over the internet. Um, I think identity is, I don't know, from I would guess from the theological perspective, it's it's you doing what God's designed you to do. I guess I would say. I think feel like this has been a theological conversation, so I'm not afraid to say that. Mm-hmm. That certainly dovetails with um, what you were saying earlier. You know about um, morality and um, um, what would you say human nature is? In other words, uh, are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? I think human nature is corrupted. I think we were designed one point to want to seek good truth, beauty, and light, but that at some point we became self-serving and self-interested and that at the end of the day, a lot of us are just trying to pursue our own self-interests and, um, you know, a lot of us are getting into very petty fa- debates on Facebook about this very thing right now. And <laughs> if I have to, I hopefully have to, don't have to give you the details of that. So I think that's pretty self-evident yeah, that a lot of people right now are, are having squabbles on the internet that are very self-interested and not very much about how to help their neighbor. Yeah. and so little of it means anything like i feel like i feel like 99 percent of internet arguments are just bored people looking to entertain themselves you know like (laughs) oh yeah i I mean especially especially at a time like this when people are like sitting at home all day and are desperate for just kind of any social interaction they can get you know like i yeah, I'm convinced that's 99% of what these arguments over masks and stuff are. Like, I just, 
Yeah. <laughs> the first one I saw today was someone wearing um, masks as like an art piece and then going into a Trader Joe's and someone just tweeted, retweeted it and said, um, ma'am, this is a Trader Joe's as if to say, you're not in an art museum. You're in a Trader Joe's. Please wear appropriate attire. I mean, when you think about it, though, is there that much difference between an art museum and a Trader Joe's? I mean, not at the moment, I would think. <laughs> I've actually literally never been to a Trader Joe's, but anyway. Um, I go to the Trader for the same reason I go to an art museum to um, to see the animals in the wild. <laughs> that belongs to Swanson. Look there, we got a live one. <laughs> All right. Um, and finally, James, what what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you know truth? What do you think? Truth is the first page of uh, Google shirt, any Google search. That I think you're right. <laughs> That's got to be true. <laughs> if it's if it's not, not, there's no hope for us. <laughs> truth is uh, the thing in which we spend our whole lives circling around, and hopefully at the end we're closer to it than we are at the beginning. But. Uh, that's 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 one you could spend your whole life trying to answer and still not come close to hitting the dead bullseye on that one. <laughs> I can get behind that sentiment. Um, not that we're definitely not that we're all definitely headed toward truth, but that I hope more of us are than not. Um, all right, well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show um, for playing Star Wars RPGs multiple times so that we don't have to. Um, <laughs> actually, I, ha having heard what you said about it, I kind of want to play the game now, but, um, uh, before you go, you got anything you want to plug Twitter, blog, anything? Um, I guess just creativecriticism.net. I occasionally write stuff there right now. I think I'm averaging about once or twice a month, which, um, is pretty good given life circumstances at the moment. But, uh, other than that, you can follow me at uh, at James Blake Ewing on Twitter. And then um, on Facebook, you can maybe find me if you're lucky and know someone who knows me. So otherwise <laughs> I'm just in my own Facebook. So don't try to, don't try to find me. I'll find you. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been changed my mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or go to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. If the only reason you are a good person is for reward in heaven or fear of punishment in hell, then you're not really a good person. Uh, that's a tweet from Ricky Gervais, the famous uh, atheist comedian. And I've seen it recycled countless times into memes or image macros or what have you, whatever the cool kids are calling pictures on the internet these days. Um, and I've long kind of wondered about it like where is this tweet coming from um because on the one hand i i don't think i've ever known anyone like that who is only a quote-unquote good person because of fear of punishment and hope of reward um all the religious people i've known um whether we're talking about christians or you know 
other religions um, have both had a strong sense of duty to their fellow man, um, but also had a sense of doing good is a joyful way of serving God, you know, whatever God they believe in. Um, I, I, I personally have never known anyone who is only good because they fear hell and they want reward in heaven, although it's possible people like that exist. Um, what bothers me more about that tweet, though, I have to say, is that it sees this weird disjunction between doing good and being a good person. Like, if that's the case, I don't even know what it means to be a good person. Like, if someone who does good things is not necessarily a good person, then what is a good person? You know, and why do we want to be good people? Why isn't doing good just enough? I feel like this is a common response um, when you ask someone what they think of morality or ethics. Um, I fear that some might call this a straw man, but I've heard it enough verbatim, you know, that I, I don't feel like it is. Um, especially non-religious people, when you ask them about morality or, or about belief, um, they'll say, well, I think I'm a good person. You know, deep down, I'm a good person. And it's hard for me not to hear that and say, what an incredibly arrogant thing to think. Like, who are you to judge yourself a good person? Like, I believe that you might have the intent to do good. <laughs> Sometimes you might even succeed at doing, at doing good. But who are you to say what a good person is and how arrogant do you have to be to put yourself in that category this isn't really a, a Christian thing. It's not really even a religious thing. Like the great philosophers, um, like Plato, for instance, regarded being good as a lifelong struggle. Like the process of building virtue is a lifelong process, and it is hard. <laughs> you can't just be a good person. You have to dedicate your life to learning to do good. Virtue is a matter of training yourself to make these moment-by-moment -moment decisions to choose others before yourself, and it is not easy. It is a struggle. And if when you think you've arrived, that means you haven't arrived because you are now engaging in the vice of pride. Um, so yeah, given the choice, I would rather live in a world of bad people who are still struggling to do good than I would in a world of good people who make no effort <laughs> to do good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that's it for this week. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please take a second to rate or review me on iTunes. Um, if you write me a review, I will read you live on the air and make you internet famous. That is a promise or possibly a threat. Try it and find out. Um, if you want to support me financially, there are a few options. I would love it if you would pre-order my upcoming book, 
My upcoming book is called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed. It is now available for pre-order for a launch in late August. You can go to murderbearsbook.com and check it out. Um, if you don't want that book, which I don't know why you wouldn't, but if you don't and you just want to toss me a few bucks, go to ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash changed my mind and you can buy me a cup of coffee there which i would greatly appreciate because who doesn't like coffee all my other projects are online at luketharrington.com there are many books and other online presences you can check out i don't think i've mentioned this on the show yet I am back at Christ and Pop Culture with a regular column. Um, Christ and Pop Culture is a website. It's about what it sounds like it's about. I have written a couple of columns for them in the past. Uh, I was on hiatus. I have a new column there. It's called Fads, Crazes, Panics. Um, I write about fads, crazes, and panics. Uh, the latest one I wrote was a uh, piece on the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Um, it kind of blew up a little bit, which surprised me. Um, I I guess the Satanic Panic is having a moment right now. There's like 10 podcasts about it floating around out there. Um, I wasn't really aware of that when I wrote the piece, but there it is. Uh, so check it out. Go to ChristAndPopCulture.com. Um, and my new, new column is right there. It's called Fads, Crazes, Panics. Um, I want to thank... James for being on the show. He was a fun interview. I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the podcast for me. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Go to ravencreeksc.com to see more. And I want to thank you for listening to Changed My Mind. And please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm-hmm.